Hello and welcome everyone to episode 63 of the App EVs podcast. I'm your host, Chris Rogers, and this week's episode will focus on the Aptera news for the period between May 21st and May 28th, 2022, as well as the last part of the conversation with Skylar Madison. Hello, everyone. I hope that you all had a great week. For those based in the United States, I hope that you're having a pleasant Memorial Day weekend. The first news story of the week is an announcement from Aptera about another key partnership agreement, or I guess you could call it a supply agreement, which is the way that they term it on their website, with Red Viking. This announcement is for a supply agreement for AGVs, which stands for Automated Guided Vehicles, for Aptera's final vehicle assembly. And in a nutshell, Red Viking is a company that designs manufacturing and assembly solutions, including its AGVs, automated guided vehicles, that essentially fill the role of an assembly line, or that's how it appears to me in a factory. The big difference between a traditional assembly line and one that uses Red Viking's AGVs, again, this is according to my unnuanced and amateur view of looking at their videos and their website, is that you can change the path of conveyance, that is the route or direction that objects are moved in a way that's much more flexible with Red Viking solution. Based on their website, and you can look at videos on their YouTube page, they have a ton of videos of the different types of their vehicles that are used to move objects around. It's It looks like the difference between, you could say a train track and say a car or a bus. You know, once you've built a train track and all of the stations on it, you can't really add any new directions or stops without significant alterations or upgrades. In contrast, you could, as long as you plot out that route, presumably, it, it seems like there's some sort of internet connectivity and, and there's the ability to integrate a lot of stuff where you can plan out what the route is of the AGVs. You could do that with Red Viking, and, and that's what you can see, that they look like basically large rectangular trays that move at slow speed and can lift objects, you know, kind of in a way of how you would imagine maybe an automated forklift. In the article on Aptera's website, which I will share in the show notes as well, you can see what this would look like in action. They, what they have is a mock-up of multiple AGVs with the main body of an Aptera vehicle that are just moving in a straight line. Presumably, the cost of the AGVs is much less than the cost of a full assembly line, which is why Aptera is, has gone with this particular option. And they've spoken a lot about how they're attempting to streamline and reduce their capital-intensive costs and how they're able to avoid that. And so even though each Aptera part is designed to be human-positionable, that is, you could lift it and put it together, you're still talking about a vehicle that altogether will weigh somewhere around 1800 pounds or 800 kilograms when it's fully built and put together they they'll still need something that moves the different sub assemblies into position to be connected and then moved along for quality assurance and whatever happens when you're you're making a a vehicle um in short the low cost and flexibility of red vikings agv it, to me it makes perfect sense why aptera pursued this agreement by simply adding new AGVs, they could increase their capacity and, and meet demand or manufacturing demand. And in the short term, I would 
I would guess that they're going to use, they're going to acquire the minimum possible number of, of vehicles to start building out their production, and then they can they can scale that up as as needed. Um, so overall, great news story, and I hope this is just one more indication that they're moving into production soon. The next segment of the day is about a video that Aptera shared or, or posted a link to on their Twitter page from CuriosityStream, which puts together some in-depth videos about different topics. And this time they did an episode on electric vehicles that featured Aptera. The, the total video is about 52 minutes long, but the segment about Aptera is only about eight minutes or so but it is behind a paywall. And so I imagine that most folks are not going to, to see it unless you know they, they pay for that. For a clean transportation enthusiast like myself, it was worth purchasing a one month subscription to watch the rest of the video because I'm interested in clean transportation infrastructure, electric vehicles, so on, et cetera, et cetera. And so for the benefit of folks listening to this podcast, I'll summarize the takeaways that I saw in there. The video itself, it featured co-CEO Steve Ambro and Chris Anthony and provided some the you know the same you know startup story the background story of Aptera. I will say you know judging by the quoted number of pre-orders at 15,000 in the video that means that it was likely recorded several months ago since we're now up to 21,000 pre-orders. Um, but you know they they spoke about you know how the company came into being I, I, I was pleased that it featured some throwback photos of a, a younger Steve Fambro, the electrical engineer, as he was thinking about, you know, I guess Aptera was a twinkle in his eye. And it went into the, the, the background anecdote that, you know, Steve Fambro, he started asking questions about, um, you know, when he was thinking about Aptera, he's thinking about, he started with vehicles that were going for the land speed records, which is not something that I don't think I was fully aware of before. But based on the aerodynamic shape of some of those vehicles, which were heavily inspired by aircraft at the time, so this is going back, I, I imagine, you know, going back to 50s, 60s or, or so out in the salt flats, um, what Steve Farmer said was that it was confusing that if you did the background math on some of these vehicles and their, their shapes, some of which are even three-wheeled vehicles like Aptera, that they didn't achieve higher speeds that you would expect just based off of the aerodynamic drag of that shape. And the answer or the explanation to that is the cambered airfoil design that you see in sharks and fish that are swimming close to the seafloor as well as the Aptera. Um, what the, the answer is that the Aptera team came across is that the aerodynamics of an object changes when it's close to the ground, which is why Aptera has the arch design that sweeps back, which is modeled off of, and this is something that Aptera has spoken about at you know, multiple times, about how it's modeled after the way a shark moves across the seafloor. And that's because the aerodynamics, once it gets close to the, the ground, it changes and it can actually, I guess, reduce the, or increase the drag that a, an otherwise shape that I guess if it were in the air, if it were a plane, wouldn't have to experience. Um, and this brings me to something that I've thought about a bit because, you know, I'm forever curious about what the shape is going to be of the inevitable four-door 
more sedan-like version of the Aptera. How can you maintain that arch design that will have four doors and back seats in sufficient room for people to actually sit in the back seat of that vehicle without sacrificing too much in the way of aerodynamic efficiency? I'm just I'm really curious as to what that would look like. And my prediction right now is that you can't really without making some sacrifices, which is going to mean that every vehicle that Aptera makes beyond this two-door Roadster that they're focusing on right now is going to take a hit from the increased rolling resistance if it's going to be four wheels, which I would imagine it, the the four-door a four-door sedan would end up being having four wheels. And there would also be increased weight from that fourth wheel, and there would be a less perfect cambered airfoil shape. It, it's going to, it, it can't sweep back. If you're going to have a back seat, you can't, I don't think it can sweep back unless the vehicle was going to be very long. You know, maybe if you made something that was as long as a, a limousine, you could maintain that shape and still have sufficient room in the back, but that would be really awkward, and I don't think they're going to. Do anything like that or I guess you could make something that was vertically higher but then that would seem to take an aerodynamic hit and also I imagine it would be awkward getting into the back seat of that that vehicle anyway suffice it to say that I'm I'm curious I still expect that the more lightweight design with composite materials and improved aerodynamics would mean that a four-door Aptera will vastly outperform any other EV in the same class but it makes more and more sense to me why Aptera decided to start with a two-door version. This is their chance at efficiency perfection. This is their chance to establish the halo effect of Aptera means efficiency, Aptera means high performance, Aptera means um, safety as well as extended range and, and lower cost. But the, the four-door version, it's just going to be that but a little bit less. Um, going back to the, the, the Curiosity Stream video, it talks more about the improved software capacity that Aptera relied upon in order to model out aerodynamics and how that has benefited the, the company. Again, I'll say if you're really into clean transportation, I highly recommend that you check out the rest of the video. The next segment is going to be part two of the conversation that I had last week with Skylar Madison. In this part, we talk about his experience as a reservation holder for the Rivian vehicle, uh, short-lived as it was, as well as some of the technical challenges that he anticipates that Aptera may face with their solar integration. So I, I hope you enjoyed this latter part of, of the conversation and um, enjoy. On this podcast, I have spoken about two other solar electric vehicle companies. Um, one is called Sono Motors, and another one is called Lightyear One. I've talked, I've, I've spoken about, and so I was curious about, um, you know, you you mentioned, you hinted at this, you know, your your thoughts. But I, I think it's insightful for folks who are reserving a a, a vehicle. Uh, were you a, a reservation holder for for uh, Rivian's incredibly beautiful? um pickup truck and 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 what what happened there yeah i absolutely was like literally 30 seconds after setting eyes on it i was like oh my gosh i desperately need one of these rivian did a little bit differently you know they launched a prototype like a pristine workable 
spec'd out prototype. Like, amazing. Blew me away. I, like, lit my computer on fire with how fast I typed in my credit card number. Um, and just absolutely loved everything about that car. They did not provide pricing. They also, they provided the specs for range and performance, but nothing on pricing. Um, so it was like months and months and months of like finding out more pictures, more things about, um, the pack, the design, the usability. They kept, you know, dropping like new accessories and all those things could keep people interested. Uh, and it wasn't until like maybe five, six, seven months into the reservation process. It's, it's all jumbled now because it was pre COVID, but it was somewhere around like April of 2018, I think, um, maybe 2019 where they actually had their like Rivian owners launch. Um, and it was down um, in New York city at the um, model car club or whatever it was called. Um, and I was one of the reservation holders for the truck. So I was invited and I went down there and it was like this big reception event um, to look at the SUV. Nobody got to go in it. We, we were able to walk, walk around and see both the, the truck and the SUV and I was like ready to switch to the SUV because I was like, holy crap, this thing is glorious. I want to live, I want to sell my house and live in the SUV. Um, I, I was able to talk to the people there about the charging and the charging station plan did not give me much confidence having been a Tesla owner at that time and knowing like I was barely scraping by even with the best available high speed charging network. And Rivian was like, oh, well, we'll use other people's and it'll probably be fine. Lots of destination chargers. And I was like, okay, <laughs> this is not going to work for me because uh, I'm driving to the middle of nowhere. I'm just driving across like rural New York and then up to upstate Vermont and occasionally to Rhode Island. Like uh, that's all the only places I go is not somewhere you're going to have chargers. Um, and so the charging was part part of the issue. But then um, they still wouldn't say anything about like pricing or timing. Um, and it wasn't until they got closer to like launching production and they were like oh we're we're gonna post pricing next week so everybody look out for the the emails or whatever and i was like seventy thousand dollars and you know as fast as i had signed up for the truck i went and was like hey can i get my pre-order back i was hoping for like a four or a five or maybe a six in front of that number but like a seven like that is that is it just i i do eventually want to like have my kids going to college and i was hoping to eat food um for the rest of this year so i really i'm not probably not going to be able to swing it for this car um and so i that that was kind of my issue was like that they kept the price under wraps the whole time which is kind of the the opposite the anti-cyber truck um type thing where they're like we're going to deliver 39.9 no matter what and here it is um, and by the way, it's definitely never going to be 39.9. Um, Rivian was like nothing. And then it's 70,000. Ford was right in the middle. Ford was like, it might be this. It's going to be kind of this. There's going to be kind of a range. And then they came out and it was kind of a range. And so you can kind of pick of it. It's definitely going to be probably in the 60s or 70s if you want a reasonably um, useful long range lightning, maybe even the 70s. Um, so I was like, wow, I guess this is completely inaccessible to me. Fortunately, they gave me my refund just on time. Uh, I was super bummed at like how late in the game I found out the pricing because I was literally right there about to be able to order my Rivian um, when it finally came out what the full pricing was. And I was like, maybe there's some people in California who aren't going to be surprised at this or who aren't going to have issues. 
Um, <laughs> but this, it was kind of disappointing. And then obviously to have that and then find out most of those people who had reservations or wanting to buy it are now going to pay like ten, fifteen, twenty thousand dollars beyond that to get a Rivian any time in the next year or so is like, wow. Yeah, this was, I should have seen how inaccessible this car was to me much earlier. But it, it's like even more inaccessible than I thought it was going to be, unfortunately. I'm I'm curious of what your your thoughts of if, of how that experience kind of translates to, um, or one of the things I wanted to ask you about uh, also as an EV owner about uh, Aptera and the viability of you know one of the things they've talked about um, is you talking about charging is that you know it it's theoretically what they're saying is that it could be possible to to charge it basically from a regular outlet. Um, they're saying, you know, with a regular 110 outlet, I think you'd get, it, it's maybe, are they saying maybe, I think they've said maybe around 12 miles an hour. And so basically it's like somewhere maybe around 120, 140 overnight. I'm curious of your thoughts on, on the viability of driving an EV, um, you know, where, you know, do you think that if you could get 140 miles overnight, you know, from a regular 110 outlet, if that, that does avoid uh, relying on the public charging infrastructure, um, or if it still does kind of, you know, it's like, yeah, you know, you're, you're still going to need that, that high speed charging network, those, you know, those, those, um, you know, those, those DC fast chargers. For sure. Um, yeah. Having owned multiple EVs at, and they were a primary vehicle, there was three years where I didn't own a gas car. Like we had a family of four and we just had two EVs, you know, one short range, one long range. We never even installed a level two charger. Um, and so we, we've only used wall outlets in, from the garage. It's literally an ex- extension cord from a regular wall outlet plugging into the car. Um, you're typically getting like 1 to 1.2 or 3 um, kilowatt hours per hour um, from your wall outlet. And so when you do that and you plug it overnight, maybe you plug in at 5, 6, 7 p.m., you need it by 8 a.m. the next morning. Like you said, it's 10 to 12 hours. Um, that's like 12 to 14 uh, kilowatt hours. That's like 140 miles, 120, 140 miles of range overnight. That is, that's plenty. You know, that's, that's 50%. When you go on long trips, which is like, you know, 20, 30, 40% of your mileage of the year, but very rare, we planned it out. You know, we, we ended up like, if we need to go grocery shopping the night before, or we you know, were driving around with the kids, we would use the other EV because we knew we were taking the other EV um, on a long trip the next day. So we would give it an extra 12 hours to charge from the wall outlet. This is not the level of planning most people want to do with their vehicles. Um, so it's a struggle. So most people will want a level two outlet and they're going to want the certainty of like, oh crap, we needed to run to the bank or we needed to do such and such. We forgot to plug in overnight. We're still going to grandma's birthday party. Like we, we had a couple times where we were like, holy crap, we actually have to decide not to go somewhere because we have only EVs. And we just like, we got home from someplace in the long range EV and it was dead basically. And we wanted to go somewhere else a hundred miles away. And we had an EV that only had a range of 90. And so, like, oh my God, we can't, I can't turn around and go today because I have EVs. And, it's, and that's when we sold the Tesla. It was like, I can't be having my cars change my my life. Like cars are a means to an end. If they're not providing the means to do what you want in your life, you got to do it. You know, I even changed 
quite a bit about my life to even get that far. But then when it, it got too egregious, I was like, okay, high efficiency plug-in hybrids or high efficiency you know, gas cars for a small percentage of my drives are still essential. Um, and so I had to go back, but um, I, I still never, even at that point, it doesn't matter if I had a level two outlet in my house. I still can't wait an hour or two hours. I'm still going to miss the thing I'm going to miss. Um, and so I think the the whole idea of like home charging needing level two outlets, I think that's way overblown. Um, but I think the long distance high power charging is is not overblown. I think that is as important as people think it is. Um, I, I remember I had a, a couple times where I was like needing to drive to my parents' house from Albany to Ithaca. Um, and that night I was supposed to be in Syracuse to spend the night um, at some in-laws. And I was like, wait, I, I actually can't because I can't drive to Ithaca and then to Syracuse in the same day because there's no charging. I would have to drive to Ithaca, then to coast to Binghamton on fumes, like go south for 20 minutes to get to a charging station that could charge me fast enough to then turn around and drive to Syracuse. I just can't make it. Um, so th- those are the types of issues where long-range charging is essential. Having just plug plugging into wall out- outlets, totally fine, especially for a high-power, high-efficiency vehicle like the Aptera, especially if you can park outside. And at any point during that time you're charging, it's sunny, because then you're also getting maybe a certain amount of charge from the solar panels as well. Yeah, that's that's something I was curious about your thoughts on. This is something that I've gone... I won't say I've gone back and forth because I've been pretty against it. So there are multiple options for solar for the Aptera. There is what comes integrated is there's there are solar panels that are on the dashboard of the vehicle and there's solar panels on the roof of the vehicle. And you can pay extra to have solar panels on the hood and on the rear hatch. And in all the you know the models that have been made thus far they have had it on the hood and on the roof of the vehicle. And I think that looks tremendous. It looks great. Um, the thing is, though, if you do it on the rear hatch, you have you have no visibility out of the rear hatch. And what they've done to get around that is that it's a, a rear view camera in the rear view mirror. And so, um, you know, you're, you're going to have a wider range um, view of like the... You'll be able... You're you're supposed to be able to see everything out of that that camera, but you would not be able to physically turn around and see what's behind the vehicle. And maybe I'm just old, but that makes me just all kinds of uncomfortable. And so I'm I'm curious about your your thoughts because that's the biggest surface area of range is the rear hatch. Um, if I lived in sunny California, I'm looking at maximum 20 miles of range a day with the the roof and the hood but potentially 40 or more if i did the hatch again in a sunny area and i'm I'm curious your thoughts on on like it's like ah you know if you're 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 advising someone right now you're like you're like you're like chris suck suck it up suck it up you you'll you will you you will prefer that long term i'm curious of ev owner's perspective yeah honestly i I still, even with their efficiency numbers and what you might get out of PV, I didn't want to say it, but I don't really see the the value. I think the added cost of integrating PV, and then you have to have all those separate inverters and, and you know, power regulators to get um, power from the battery to the drive th- drivetrain, power from a charging station to the battery, power from the solar panel to the battery. You have three different systems and you're buying solar panels, and you're having that extra weight put on the car as solar panels, I'm like, you know, 
sounds cool. Maybe it has some benefit. I would probably do without because, it, you know, if we're talking about um, commuting most of the time, that means you're not driving super long ranges every day. You probably have time to plug it into, say, the wall outlet or something overnight. And if you can do that, that extra 10, 20 miles of range with their efficiency of their car, that's only one or two extra hours of charging that can be replaced by two kilowatt hours of power. That takes maybe an hour and a half to two hours of the wall outlet. And at, even at high cost electricity, that's like 30 or 40 cents. You know, maybe 50 if you live on Long Island or in LA, where it's like could potentially be 25, 30 cents a kilowatt hour. Um, so like to save maybe 50 cents, am I really going to have all those extra integration systems, really all the solar panels on the car to try to do that? Um, because I'm not sure they've solved. I mean, they haven't even finished their battery module yet. So I doubt they've finished the full PV to storage integration system. And I feel like that is kind of a risk for not as much value as I, like that anybody outside of California would really get. Maybe there's a, you know, a few states where it might make sense. But I know Albany, Buffalo, Syracuse, like we have like what feels like single digit sunny days <laughs> in the course of the year. And it is like not high value solar. Um, and so I think what, when we're talking about, you know, trying to integrate it in the system, it might be more trouble than it's worth outside of California. So I, I would love to see it as an option, um, as opposed to like, you have two solar panels and you're paying an extra $2,000 on your car for it. And you'll have to charge it like 66,000 times to make it, <laughs> make it worth the cost, you know, increased cost of integrating the solar panels. Well, it's a bit less than that, fortunately. I think it's, I think the, I think the maximum, I think it's $900 for like the total full solar. That's so, amazing. So it's not, yeah, I mean, yeah, it's not, it's not high, but you know, I think that's, I hadn't really thought about that, that in terms of, of what you're, you're getting. Like it's, the value is that it's free. And so if you have a place that it can park in the sunlight, it's, it's free. And, and so you wouldn't have to, to plug it in, but it is interesting to think about it of, of it's like, well, if you could plug it in for two hours, you know, like that's, you know, that, I mean, that's, that's what this comes down to. Like if, if the, and this is one of the questions I've, I've had, you know, if the solar generation and the range ends up working out as they, they plan the difference between for me right now, what I have is this hood and the, the roof of the vehicle and the hatch. It's a, it's about, I'm getting about a little less than half of their, their potential maximum sunny area, 40 miles of range. A, a day um and so it's like you know pay more and, and lose what i feel like is aesthetically less pleasing and losing the ability to turn around and see behind me it, it's like yeah, when, you're, <laughs> when you're talking about like just plug it in as an outlet i, I think that's a that's an interesting it's an interesting perspective on on like well you know like because i'm, I'm gonna have something i mean like it, it there's automatically a little bit that just comes with the vehicle and it's really, it's, it's just like, well, do you think you're going to get that much more? Right. Because if, if you can't, if you can't charge from the solar while charging from an outlet, because that, that's going to require a lot of working pieces. A lot of physics goes into like having to accept charge from multiple places simultaneously. So if, if you want to like come home, you park and plug your car in, you have to have some way of like choosing what you're charging from or have extra integration to be able to charge for both at the same time. And I, I just don't see, if you're already plugged in, 
you might not need the extra stuff you're getting from the solar panels. It's it's cheaper, so maybe you give preference, and as soon as that solar stops charging, then it kicks in. I'm sure there's some algorithm or some app they're going to be able to do to to manage your charging, but um, I'm I'm really want to like game that out, like. How and when is having solar panels on the car going to be useful? What am I going to get out of it? What's the alternative? What's the opportunity cost? Um, because it might be a $900 to $1,000 worth of solar panels. Um, but I think that a lot of the cost is going to come in the integration side of things when you actually have to plug that into the car and have that energy coming out of solar panels actually be useful into the battery. Um, and so that's, that's going to be something interesting to track as well because I haven't seen like hardly any detail on that. Um, I know one of the only cars that ever, ever actually had solar on it was, I think, that one version of the Prius um, who set up a separate... It was too difficult to integrate into their nickel hydrate, nickel metal battery system. So they actually had their um, solar panel on the roof integrated into a separate electricity system in the car to only power auxiliary heating and cooling because it was too hard and too expensive to integrate into the full battery system of that Prius hybrid. And so that's what I have in my mind when you're like, okay, you have multiple fuel sources, multiple um, charging opportunities. Um, how are we actually going to integrate the solar? What's it going to be used for? And is it actually going to be added value or is it going to be offsetting something that's easy and I didn't actually need <laughs> in the first place? So that's going to be interesting to learn more about as they as they go through their engineering process. Yeah, that's that's super interesting. You're just thinking about it in, in terms of because the way they're talking about it is they're like, oh, you know, the solar panels, they they believe it's going to be basically a, a constant trickle charge. And I think I've heard them actually say a few times that they believe that it will, it's, I mean, it's going to be really slow, but it will, it would be active while the vehicle was in motion. Like there is, there is, it's supposed to be able to, to do that. And it's interesting because as you, a, um, a, I would say a, a battery expert. I think that's fair to call you that. It's interesting to see you go, what? How? Like, um, it's because that wasn't even something that I realized was a question that was outstanding in, in terms of how they're, they're able to do it. It's that. obviously possible. Um, you know, we, we can plug in our iPhones and use the iPhone at the same time. So it's, it's both using power while also simultaneously delivering power to it. Same with your laptops. All these types of things, you know, they, they can both be, you know, they can be outputting power and receiving power. And they usually do it by having like stacked cells and they like cycle through which cells are being used and which ones are being charged. Um, but obviously that has an engineering cost to it. Um, and it's not something you can necessarily take for granted in a system like a car. Um, and you have to think about things like um, cell management, battery degradation, heating, cooling, all those types of things. And you have to do that anyway for a car um, when, when you're talking about having to charge it and discharge it. Every time you drive, that's a lot of cycling on that EV battery. And then where you're going to basically add on almost continuous cycling. It's trickle charging. Like the battery is actively doing something, you know, being charged most of the time because it's like this of the solar panels. I'm interested to see what they think that's going to do to the battery degradation um, and how it impacts heating and cooling of the battery while you're driving. Um, you've, you're probably familiar, I think we've talked before about um, the DC fast charging management that the superchargers did with Tesla, how they kind of cycle you through charge rates if you've, you've supercharged too much and they try to manage the health of the battery. Um, I'm, I'm wondering, you know, that's mostly a high power charging issue, but it could also be an issue if you're charging the battery too much. If you're charging, if you're constantly accepting charge all the time, 
either while you're driving and getting some from the solar panels, and then you're charged, you're, you're plugged in and charging. Electrons are passing through this battery constantly. You're using all the components of those battery cells continuously in both directions. That could lead to some pretty rapid degradation um, if it's not managed. Um, so it's just, once again, just more integration engineering that sounds like they're super smart, sounds like they're uh, aware of these issues and they're planning, but we just don't know their final details yet. Yeah, that's, uh, again, that's a, a lot of great insight. Because they had, I want to say about a few weeks ago, they released a video where they're talking about solar and they they referenced control algorithms that they're putting in the software to, to manage, you know, um, I think fluctuations or, or maximize range and, and solar. And it's, it was said very briefly as an aside and, you know, I interpreted that, a, you know, one way, but, you know, I'd, in a way, I'd, I won't say it's a loaded statement, but it, it seems like there was a lot that was inherent in there that, that is kind of yet to be, kind of yet to be proven out. Um, and you know, f for me, I will say this, my hope for the, the solar really, um, you know, that they, they talk about, they have this slogan where they talk about never charge with the idea is that if you look at the average amount of range, people commute a day, the amount that they're anticipating could be generated from the solar panels is, exceeds that, which would mean you would never have to plug it in and you know, whether or not what the real world experience of that will be, you know, that remains to be seen. But for me, I, I have much lower um hopes what my real hope for it is just that for batteries and when you when you leave it um unplugged you know you there's some charge loss and my hope is that solar would just you know when i if i left the car and it was at 80 percent, i come back and it's at 80 percent. as long as it does that that's for, for me like that's that's a win for the the solar system that like i you know i i left it for this amount of hours and i didn't find out that i lost 40 miles because because that, that's you know that's just a, a practical reality i think of, of of evs which is which people have to deal with that if i didn't have to then then i'm, I'm fine and, and the other stuff is just yeah i'm, I'm curious about it from a, a the, the degradation testing and it and it's some of that's gonna be impossible to know for for a couple of years and and then it's gonna be you know people are gonna say like oh you know everything's fine and that happened with tesla where they made a lot of claims and, and then, you know, people, you know, 200,000 miles on a Tesla and they're like, and this is now this is what we can see with the degradation is rates are over the time. And and, and it turned out that it, that it was fine and they exceeded this. And and but you can't before you launch, you can say a lot of things and it's it's, you know, I think it's important for people to realize that it's a lot of that stuff is aspirational is I, I think is maybe right. putting it diplomatically. No, that's a that's a really good point. You know, I, I drove the Tesla for two years and I saw about eight miles of range loss. Um, it's not terrible um, when you think of like two hundred seventy miles of range. That's like what three two three percent over two years. So maybe you get you drive it for five or six years, you get almost ten percent or so um, of range loss. But once again. In the winter time, I, that would be, you know, if the solar, unfortunately, solar is not necessarily the best in the winter in upstate New York, but if you could use the solar to manage the range loss of just an EV that's sitting in the driveway turned off, not using any power for driving, but just like losing 5, 10, 15 miles of range overnight to keep the battery warm, if the, the EV, the solar on the EV can actually mitigate that, that would be huge. Um, it'd be very helpful because I know I've had a lot of scares where the, the the wake up and the EV's almost dead because it lost thirty miles of range in a blizzard or something. Yeah, 
Or, or if they could do something, I'm just pie in the sky. They could do something really fancy. If, um, you know, if, and I, I guess you would require sunlight, if there's an option, if there's like, yeah, sunlight winter option that kept, that did something where the bat, it kept the battery warm, where it was like charging like a, a heating and like the vehicle a little bit so that, you know, you know, it's just like not, not like warm, warm. But it's like, you know, if you're just, if it's at 40 degrees, you know, like stuff like lands on the car and it's going to melt off and it, it's not going to collect snow and, and ice depending on, on the buildup. That would be, that would be, that would be something that would be really interesting that, that I would be, I'd be uh, interested in. Um, so Skylar, um, you know, I want to, I want to, we've been chatting for a little while. I want to, want to wrap things, things up, but I want to give you a chance that I don't know if, if there are any other um, you know, burning thoughts on on uh, the car. Aptera means wingless flight in in Greek. It's it's got this cambered airfoil shape that's modeled after a shark going along the seafloor. Um, thoughts on the most efficient form of transportation ever designed, the most incredible looking vehicle with its 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 uh, uh, not gold wing. Gold wing is, is that way. Butter with its butterfly doors. You know, any any burning burning thoughts and, and questions on on Aptera? I think you know we've covered most of it. the The one thing I'd say is like I'm really looking forward to um, a more production version. I know they keep talking about the the development of a beta version where they're trying to improve on things even more, um, integrate their new battery module. There, there's so many steps um, that they're close to taking that are, are like very important. Like I mentioned, the, the solar integration, the battery module and the battery module certifi- certification, um, the supply of batteries, the, you know, manufacturing more than one <laughs> at a time of these things. Cause you know, as, as you mentioned, they're not necessarily going to use Tesla bots, um, at a gigafactory. They, they're planning on making them, um, be able to be molded and anything can be put on by a person, um, that, that raises some like, you know, quality. Um, concerns, not necessarily concerns, but just something you have to you have to pay attention to even more than if you had a literal like laser algorithm, like perfectly placing everything. You still run into issues in, in those cases, but um, it's even more of a of, of an issue when you have like literally you know a lot of hand hand um, installed components. So there's a lot of like steps you see that they're going through. They've been very open about what those steps are. They have targeted range, targeted performance, targeted costs. Um, and it's really great that they've had those from, you know, such an early stage because they have a target. If you don't have targets to shoot for, you end up losing a lot of time. You're a lot less efficient. You're a lot less guided, um, in what you're doing. So I'm, I'm really curious to see how they take those next few steps, especially in this environment with batteries and with, um, all the other EVs, um, that are going to be competing for people's attention and to be competing for the, the supply of batteries. Um, so I'll be really curious to see how they end up, you know, taking all those those next steps and, and what they can actually deliver to the first few um, customers in the, in the next year or two. And hopefully you're one of them. I hope I'm, I'm one of them as well. I, I ordered a, a um, I would say, a Batmobile inspired um, jet black version that I think is going to look very cool. Although I'm perhaps a little bit horrified of the idea of something you identified it, it's gonna turn heads and i don't really like that you know I, i'd rather go under the radar but um that's not gonna happen um uh but yeah I, i'll thank you so much for for joining me on the podcast and for for sharing your expertise i will i will be sure to keep you updated 
as as the company gets closer to production and as i hopefully learn more about you know when mine will actually be be delivered you know that there's a lot that needs to happen and always my pleasure thanks for thanks for joining And that concludes episode 63 of the Apt EVs podcast. I hope that you found this episode interesting and thank you for listening. If you enjoyed the podcast, please tell a friend so that we can continue to grow the Aptera movement. And also, once again, happy Memorial Day weekend for those based in the United States. The Apt EVs podcast is available on all major podcasting platforms, including Apple, Google Podcasts, Anchor FM. If you have any questions or feedback, including corrections, please send those to aptevspodcast at gmail.com, or you can find me on Twitter at apt underscore EVs podcast. You can also send audio messages through the podcasting website. Thank you to OS50 for the song Movies, and in the words of Jeff Kanata, think about what you put out into the world, make it a better place. <laughs>